0: Well, how's everybody doing? Good week so far. Actually, weekend so far. How many people have finished their Christmas shopping? Last night, one person I think had, it, and so we asked them to leave. For those of you who have not yet finished your Christmas shopping, I have three words for you. Amazon.com. That'll work. There's, there's your solution. Hey, I love, if you have, if you don't know me, uh, as you get to know me, you will find out, I love this time of year. Christmas is far and away my favorite holiday. I love the decorations. I love the food, the smells, the lights, the music, the concerts, the parties, and all that sort of stuff. But it is an unbelievably busy time of year. All sorts of things going on. They're all, or most of them at least, are good things that are going on. But you just sometimes, you're just like so tired and you feel so super busy. And then you've got these interruptions that come in. You know, somebody forgot to do something or forgot to remind you that they have, you know, their office Christmas party tomorrow evening. You know, your spouse comes home and says, honey, I forgot to tell you where to go to the office Christmas party tomorrow evening. You know, it's like, you get these interruptions that are coming into your life, and their problem has to become my problem. I have to deal with it. And, you, you know, you get kind of impatient and annoyed in those situations. Or, or you step back a little bit, And you don't think just about the interruptions that we run into, but what about like a real life disruption? You know, you or somebody you love, family member, gets a debilitating illness and realistically speaking, that's gonna be with them potentially, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, Or your boss calls you in and says, I'm sorry, budget cuts. We've had to eliminate your position. You know, you lose your job. Or a relationship that you expected was gonna last a lifetime, uh, falls apart and that's the end of that, you know, and your life has totally changed. All the plans, all the hopes, all the dreams, all the desires that you've had are now dashed and your, your life has really been disrupted. And, and the question is, you know, how do we respond in those situations? And I know for myself sometimes, you know, it's, it's one of these things you just want to kind of close your eyes, you know, count to 10 and open them and say, okay, it was just a bad dream, right? You know, You're like, no, that doesn't often happen. You know, and then then uh, sometimes after that, you start whining and complaining, and you have to tell everybody, you know, this happened, did you see what so-and-so did to me, or I can't believe it, you know, I got this test result back from the doctor, you just go on and on and on, and you're, you're whining and you're complaining, and it makes you feel better, maybe for a little bit, for a couple of minutes, but realistically, it doesn't really do anything to solve the problem. And so then the next step in the process is usually murder. You want to kill somebody, you know, and you actually don't, hopefully, don't actually carry it out, but you get angry, you know, because why is it that your incompetence ends up becoming my problem? Or why is it that this happened to me? And you get angry at whoever it is, and sometimes it's the people you love the most, and you lash out at them, even though, realistically speaking, you know it's not their fault. And sometimes we get angry at God in those situations. And, you know, and again, that may make us feel better for a couple of minutes but it doesn't really solve the problem. And so then hopefully you actually begin to try to do something to solve the problem. So it's an illness and you, know, you go to another doctor and get a second opinion, try to call in an expert who can help out or you've lost your job and you begin the process or continue the process of looking for another job and, and on and on. But the question becomes what do you do In those situations where this disruption is not going to end up being temporary, the illness, the loss of a relationship, whatever it is, becomes permanent. Do we just end up then kind of having this numb sort of uh, existence where we go through life with no hopes, no dreams, no desires? Is that really what God wants us to do and live life kind of numb to everything going on around around us? Or is there something more? Can even in the midst of those incredibly annoying interruptions or life-changing disruptions, is there a way that we can see a bigger picture, see what God is doing, and, and as a result of that gain some perspective and some hope and some peace and some comfort in the midst of the the difficulties and trials and and disruptions that are going on in our lives. And I think the answer to that is yes. And and this morning, I wanna get into that by looking at a piece of the infancy narrative, a piece of the story about Jesus' birth. And it's one that uh, for a number of you who've been around churches for a long time, you're probably familiar with, Others of you, I had a number of people say, hey, you know what, I never even knew that story was in the Bible. And so whether it's something that's old and familiar to you or something that's new, my hope is that as we kind of look at this uh, from from an interesting perspective, see what was going on back then, see how God was working the life of Mary and Joseph and obviously Jesus as well, uh, and see what God was doing. Hopefully that'll enable us to gain some perspective as to what's going on in our lives and give us some hope for the future. So I wanna start by looking at Luke chapter two and just the first few verses of that. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, about four years ago, we had the privilege and honor of filling out the once every 10 years census forms, right? Some of you got the short form, others of you got the long form. And I don't care whether the form was short or long. I have yet to meet a person who said, you know what, that was a very fulfilling experience. Please, sir, may I have some more? You know, it's not, we don't look forward to the census. We don't look forward to doing our taxes and, and, and things like that for the most part. Put yourself back in their situation. Our census is simple and mild. The disruption of our lives, it's just a mild interruption, a mild annoyance compared to what happened to Mary and Joseph. Imagine yourself being, what, six, seven, eight, nine months pregnant, and the word comes that it's time for the census, and so you've got to either walk or ride a donkey or a horse or whatever it is, 90 miles to go to your husband's hometown where his town of Ancestry, down there in Bethlehem, because that's what's going on. Nazareth is about 90 miles away from Bethlehem, and so Mary and Joseph had to hoof it all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Probably took the better part of a week, and Mary is not like terribly excited, I'm sure, about making this journey. And so this is an annoyance. This is an interruption. This is disruption of their lives. And then watch what happens. So while they're there, verse 6, in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And if I'm Mary, if I'm Joseph, I'm kind of like asking the question, what is God thinking in this whole thing? Why is he allowing this to happen, right? He he sent his angel, Gabriel, to Joseph and to Mary and to say, hey, look, Mary is going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's a disruption to your life, right? God comes and says, hey, you're gonna become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Your whole life is changed in that situation. And now, why is it that God wants us to move 90 miles from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem just because of this stinking Roman census? What's going on here? And then we arrive there, can't find a place to stay. Baby's gotta be born in a stable and his first crib, first crib for your son, God, is a feed trough. What's going on here? You know, why is it, God, that you allowed this to happen? Last week, we were uh, celebrating Advent and the prophecy candles. We looked at a number of different prophecies uh, in the Old Testament. One that we didn't look at was written about 700 years before these events took place. It was written by the prophet Micah. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah writes, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. 700 years before Jesus was born, God promised that the ruler of Israel, the Messiah, was going to come from this little no-name town of Bethlehem that's about six, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And so God wanted to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth, where they were living, down to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and this prophecy could be fulfilled. But as soon as I say that, a couple of questions come to mind. First one is, okay, so how is God gonna get them from Nazareth? down to Bethlehem. Moving 90 miles is not a huge deal for us, although a move is obviously a very disrupting sort of a thing. Uh, for us, most of the time, but for them, it's huge. That ninety miles is a whole lot further for them than it was for us. So, how's God going to get them from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem? But then, secondly, why did the Messiah actually have to be born in Bethlehem? Was it just to, you know just because Micah had said that the Messiah was going to be born there, or was there something on you know going on behind behind the scenes there? Because I... You know, weren't there decent hospitals or whatever it is up in Nazareth? You know, weren't they good enough? Or did, you know, was there something special about Bethlehem in that way? And then why did all this have to happen so late in Mary's pregnancy? So we've got these two questions. How is God going to move them? And why is he wanting to do this? Well, the answer to that first question is God used the Roman census to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. In that census, and this was actually a little bit unusual for a census of those days, but in that census, everybody had to go back to their ancestral hometown, and since Joseph's family was from Bethlehem way back, traced back, it was from Bethlehem, they had to go there and register f- for the census there in Bethlehem. And scholars think that the Romans actually did it this way because that was closer to the way the Jews would do censuses than the Roman way, and they thought it would be less offensive to the Jews because at this time, Rome had taken over Israel and was occupying Israel, and they weren't, you know, the the Jews were not terribly excited about the Romans at this point. So. A lot of scholars think that they did it this way in a sense to make it easier on the Jews, but if you look at it from Mary and Joseph's perspective, they might have preferred to to stay up in Nazareth. But what God was doing was he was using this Roman emperor to accomplish his purposes. And the Roman emperor at that time was a guy named Octavian uh, and he had been given the title Caesar Augustus by the Roman Senate. And so we probably, depending on your, your history background, you either know him as Octavian or you know him as Caesar Augustus. But one of the key things about Caesar Augustus's reign was that it was a time of relative peace that had not been known in the Roman Empire uh, really for decades before that. It was a time that was known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace very unusual situation. No wars or strife or, or discord really going on at this point. And the irony of the situation is, if, if you remember last week, we talked about a prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 9 that there was one who was going to be born who was going to be called the Prince of Peace. And so you've got the Emperor of Peace being used by the God of the universe to bring the Prince of Peace to be born exactly where God wanted him to be born. And what that shows is that even though the Roman emperor in some sense viewed himself as a God, and that's the way that Roman emperors were viewed at that time, he viewed himself as sovereign. Ultimately, the God of the universe was the ultimate sovereign power. And while Augustus was using this census for his own selfish purposes, God said, yeah, that may be what you wanted to do. You wanted to know how many people were under your control, but I'm going to use it to get Joseph and Mary and the unborn baby Jesus down to Bethlehem so that he can be born exactly where I want him born. So that tells us how God got Joseph and Mary to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Then the question is, why? Why? You know, is it just because Micah had said this? Well, sort of, but there's something going on behind what Micah was saying. And about 300 years before Micah prophesied, so that puts us about 1,000 years before the time that Jesus was born, God spoke to King David through a prophet, and he said to him, uh, God said to David, "'I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. "'When your days are over "'and you go to be with your ancestors, "'I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, "'one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom.'" He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I'll be his father. He will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And what God is saying to King David is, David, one of your descendants is going to be the king of Israel forever. And not only is he going to be the king, he's going to be my son. And by the time that Jesus was born, the Jews understood this to be a prophecy of the Messiah. They understood that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David, that he was going to be in some sense, I don't think they fully understood it, but in some sense, the son of God, and that he was going to reign forever. Enter Jesus who fulfills this prophecy and what is so cool what is really amazing it happened if you recall when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit with the son of God notice what the angel says to her in Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 30 the angel said to her don't be afraid Mary you found favor with God you'll conceive you'll give birth to a son you're to call him Jesus and here it goes he will be great and he'll be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel is saying, Mary, your son is going to be God's son. Your descendant is going to be David's descendant who's going to sit on the throne of Israel, being the ruler over Israel forever. And in fact, there's going to be even more to that in a sense. He's the ruler of the universe. And so what was going on here? Why was it that Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem? Because in that culture, that was the best way to establish beyond a shadow of a doubt Jesus' Davidic lineage, meaning that Jesus was unquestionably a descendant of David. And as such, he had the right to sit on the throne of David, to be the ruler of over all of Israel, to be the one who fulfilled all these prophecies, to be the promised Messiah, the son of God, who's not just the ruler over Israel, but who's ultimately the king of the universe. And so God uses this Roman census in order to accomplish his purposes. He uses Caesar Augustus, the emperor of peace, to ensure that the prince of peace is born exactly where he wanted him to be born. Did Caesar understand this? No way. He was doing it for his own selfish purposes. Did Joseph and Mary understand what was going on? I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us that. My guess is no. They probably didn't really understand what was going on. Yes, they had the promise that was given to them. They had some understanding of it, perhaps. But did they have the big picture? Did they really know what was going on? Not necessarily, but God did. Because God's sovereign, and he knew exactly what he was doing. And the fact that God knew exactly what he's doing can be incredibly comforting to us. Because when we look at the disruptions, the interruptions, all the challenges in our lives, and we step back and we say, you know what? I don't understand why this is happening. But God does, and he's in control and he knows exactly what's happening. And more than that, he loves me, he cares about me, he's good, he's got my best interest in heart. So just in the same way as, yes, he allowed Mary and Joseph's lives to be disrupted by moving them from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. We know that was a good thing, even though in the immediate time, it might've been viewed as a bad thing. We know that in the eternal scheme of things, it was a good thing we can have that same confidence in our lives that even when these negative things, these disruptions come into our lives, that God can use those not only for our good, but maybe even for the good of those around us. And ultimately as we see what God did in Mary and Joseph's life, what he did through them ends up being both for their good, but also for ours because their savior and our savior came into the world to bring us peace, to bring us peace with one another and ultimately to bring us peace with God because he was the one who was born to die and to rise again so that we could have a restored relationship with the God of the universe. And with all of that in mind, I want to share with you an alternative approach to what we can do when we're faced with those interruptions and those disruptions in our lives. The first thing I just want to encourage you to do is pray. First thing, pray, Lord, I don't understand. Why are you allowing this to happen? It's really frustrating. It's really making me angry. I'm scared, I'm anxious. I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Help me to understand. Help me to trust you. Give me peace, give me comfort. Calm my nerves, calm my heart and help me to know that you are God and that you love me and you have my best interest in heart. The Apostle Peter writes this. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Earlier this fall, we looked at the story of Lazarus dying and Jesus raising him from the dead. And in the middle of that were his sisters, Mary and Martha. And both of them said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. With a subtext of like, didn't you care enough to come here and take care of my brother and and, and keep him from dying? but after jesus raised him from the dead and they saw what jesus had did and they interacted with him they realized that yes jesus absolutely cared but that by allowing him to die and then raising him from the dead he did something so much better than just simply physically healing lazarus and so if we step back and we look at the story of lazarus we look at the story of of god moving uh, joseph and mary and jesus from nazareth down to bethlehem and so many other times in scripture we look and we say God is sovereign. He knows exactly what He's doing, and He also cares for us. And as a result of that, we can turn to Him, we can pray, and we can have confidence that He has our best interests in heart. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, and this is a, a more challenging one for many of us, is to confess and to say, Lord, please forgive me. I got angry at this person. I blamed them. And yes, in some sense, they were at fault, but my response was not right, or I lashed out at them when they had absolutely nothing to do with the situation, or I looked at you and I blamed you for this, or I let my anxiety get the better of me and caused me to do things that I knew I shouldn't do, or whatever it is. We need to stop and pray, and we need to stop and confess our sins to God, and we can do that directly to him. We don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to a minister. We just go to God and say, Lord, please forgive me, because I know that either in in my heart or in my actions, I've sinned, and I thank you that you forgive me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, great verse to memorize if you've never memorized it. John writes, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's just. He'll forgive us our sins. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. We can have the confidence to come before God and say, I have sinned. Will you forgive me? And because Jesus was born, Jesus grew up, lived, suffered, died, and rose again. We can have the confidence that if we confess our sins, God is faithful, He is just, and He will forgive us. And we don't need to be afraid to come before God and to confess our sins. It, it's it's cleansing, it's purifying, it's it's cathartic. And it's something that we need to do. So we need to pray, we need to confess. We also need to trust God. Because God is sovereign, because He cares for us, He's somebody we can trust. Because he makes promises. He always delivers on those promises. And he always has our best interests at heart. He's sovereign. He's able to put it all together and work not only for his glory, but also for our good, both at the same time. And I love Mary's response to the angel Gabriel, Gabriel comes and says, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary says, how's this going to be? I don't understand. And he tries to explain it to her and she still, I'm sure, doesn't fully understand what's going on. And she's probably a little bit scared and, and, you know, wondering what's going to happen. But her response in Luke chapter 1 verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You're God, I'm not. I'm your servant. I trust you because I know that you're sovereign. I know that you're good. I know that you care about me. I know that you love me. So I trust you. And that's the kind of response that we need to have in those interruptions and those disruptions in our lives. No guarantee that those disruptions are going to go away. No guarantee of Healing in this world, no guarantee that a job's going to be restored, no guarantee that a relationship's going to be restored, no guarantee of any of that. But there's an absolute, unquestionable guarantee that God absolutely knows what He's doing. He is absolutely concerned about us. And He absolutely will work through our circumstances if we're trusting in Him to bring about His glory and our good. And He can use us in the lives of other people maybe on an incredibly grand scale, maybe on an incredibly small scale. But it doesn't depend on how much we understand. It depends on how faithful God is and how good he is and how sovereign he is. Sometime late in the year 5 BC, a Roman governor decided he wanted to know how many people were in his empire. And so he issues a decree and he says, we're going to take a census of the entire world which for him was the the Roman empire and the lives of many people including a pregnant young woman and her husband were disrupted caesar augustus who was known for his reign of peace had absolutely no idea that a ruler so much bigger than he was out there and was going to use his decree in order to accomplish the purposes of the God of the universe, to ensure that the Prince of Peace would be born exactly where he needed to be born to unquestionably establish his lineage, his right, not only to the throne of Israel, but ultimately to the throne of the universe. Joseph and Mary probably didn't understand the full implications of what was going on, but I firmly believe that they were trusting God in spite of the challenges, in spite of the difficulties, looking to him and saying, okay, "Okay, God, don't fully get this, but we trust in you." Now they know. I believe what was going on back then, probably not. Sometimes God allows disruptions in our lives. Those disruptions are not always immediately good. Illness, etc. Those things are not good. Yet God is still just as sovereign today as He was back then. With Mary and Joseph and even when we don't know what God is doing he knows what he's doing and what we need to do is turn to him pour out our hearts to him in prayer just say Lord here's where I am here's what's going on in my life and I need you because this is a pretty challenging situation for me and confess to him Lord I'm sorry my initial response was absolutely wrong Forgive me, and I thank you that you do forgive me. And then finally, Lord, give me the faith to trust in you, to know that you are good, that you are powerful, that you care about me, that you will fulfill your promises, that you will bring about your glory and my good. So give me that faith to trust in you. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, Our lives at times can be so incredibly challenging and difficult, but I thank you that even in the midst of those challenges, those interruptions, those disruptions, those difficulties that we face, that you are still here, that you are still God, that you are still sovereign, that you still care about us, you still love us, and that you will work in our lives, not only to bring glory to yourself, but also good to us and good to those around us, if we'll just trust in you. And I pray, Father, for all of us that during this Christmas season, more and more and more, we would be praying, we'd be bringing our concerns, our anxiety, our cares to you, looking to you for hope and courage and strength to get through those difficult situations. I pray that we would be not hesitating for a second to confess our sins to you because you're eager to forgive our sins. As you showed by sending your son to be born, live, die, rise again. And I pray that you would strengthen our faith. I pray that we would trust in you. And as we do, I pray that you would give us hope, that you'd give us peace, that you'd give us comfort, and that we might be excited to see how you're working both in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys came out this morning. Hope you come back next week. Peter Pendel will be speaking of both services on Sunday.